Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where I'd ask you to turn. In just a minute, we're going to read from verses 15, 16, and 17 in 1 Corinthians 10, page 811 in your church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you. Well, just a couple of housekeeping things. When we are done together, if you have a question or just want to speak about what we have sung or read or said, then when we're through, I look forward to trying to answer those questions or just, just meet with you. We're actually going to pray before we read the Bible this morning. Last, last Lord's Day, we thought about the summer and how tremendously gracious and merciful God was to us. And so we set aside time to offer up a prayer of thanks to God. And so this day, this Lord's Day, what we're going to do is we're going to look ahead to the fall and the winter months. And we're going to ask God to have mercy on us and bless and help us. And of course, that he'll be glorified and that everything that takes place in our lives as individuals and as a congregation and families and couples, that his blessing will be upon it as we enter into this fall and winter uh, season. So um, we've been doing this now for a few years. It just seems like a wise thing to do in light of our need. Let me just attach one remark about the pig roast. If you're wondering how many people, the, the, the 620, 25 is what we determined who was on site at one time yesterday, during the time when the, the worship was taking place and the gospel was preached, somewhere between 350 and 400 people were in or around the tent. So we are going to also thank God for that as well and, and of course, pray um, for their conversion. There's one thing that we should be always clear about, that we preach Christ, but only God saves souls. So we need to be mindful of that. That's why we need to pray. So let's do that now. Well, Father, we said last week, and we again say this week, that um, many of us would confess this morning that at times we forget you, we forget that we belong to you, and sometimes we carry our lives on as if there was no God, no God to worship, and no God to honor and thank, and no God to speak of, and for those of us who have done that, we would ask for your forgiveness. We do want to thank you, God, for the provision that you provided yesterday, and the planning that took place, and the day itself, uh, your people, God, were wonderful yesterday and we would ask your blessing over them and we would ask that you would receive our thanks as well, God, for you just being tremendously merciful. There's so much on a day like yesterday depends on you. In a very real sense, God, everything depends on you and in your mercy, you always do what's best and we thank you for that and Father, we would pray that you would glorify yourself by what happened yesterday by turning on the lights and the hearts and minds of people who need your son, Jesus Christ, as their savior, and that you, God, would awaken them to Jesus and they would run to Jesus and be part of his forever family. So, Father, as we think about the fall and the winter, we would ask that you would please keep giving us the food that we have and the heat that we need and warm clothing and a place to lay our heads where every one of us can call our home. Help us, God, to never think that it's by our own hand or our own power or clever managing that we have a place to enjoy, but to remember the words of Paul continuously when he said that what do we have that we didn't receive? And Father, as children and young adults and, and perhaps some older adults that are represented here attend schools and colleges and universities and vocational training, please grant to them much success. Give them grace and power and endurance to be exceptionally good this year for the glory of your son, not only in their studies, which are tremendously important, but also in their conversations and in their relationships with their teachers 
and fellow students and those, Father, who will be participating in athletics and extracurricular activities. May they keep Christ first in those things and excel for the glory of Christ in them. And Father, would you ask, we ask that you would please keep our county school system safe from evil people who would cause undue harm or, or hurt. Those places, God, should be safe and sound and happy. And we would pray, God, that your mercy would be to that end this school year. And we pray that as busy as we'll get this fall and, and winter, please help us to have the truthful conviction that six days in seven we do what we should so that one day in seven we do what we must. And as the holidays come to us, first we thank you for them. We ask God that you would help us be generous in them and that we will be gracious and wise in our approach to them and how we speak of them and so on as even the holidays or holy days when we keep Christ our King the center of everything. And so we pray that you would help us do that. And you know, God, many have terrific memories in these times of years, but some don't. Some have known loss and sorrow and the holidays, God, would bring only pain to them. And so we would ask, God, that you would deliver them and comfort them and use us to that end, God, in ways you deem best. And so, God, as we end this time of prayer, we know that these good gifts that we are given are good, but they're, they're not you. They're not God. And it would be very foolish, foolish of us to be happier about having them than being found in you. And so we thank you, God, that you portion out everything perfectly. So as we enter the fall and winter months, we again remember that to whom much is given, much is required. Now, Father, please help me and help us all as we listen, as I speak to the glory of your Son as we try to teach these words from 1 Corinthians 10 for the glory of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So let's read from the Bible. This is verse 15, 1 Corinthians 10. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Well, there's a word that I want you to know, the word trivialize. And in our English language now has not received a much use according to Google Chrome, actually until the very end of the 20th century. And the word trivialized means making something seem less important, less significant than it really is. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that we live in an era that tends to trivialize just about everything, but especially the most important things. You could call it the age of reduction. You could call it the age of arrogance, where things that ought to matter very much now, for many, matter very little, and the things that really ought to matter very little, now, for many, matter very much, and perhaps for some, too much. Isaiah the preacher in Isaiah 5 explained it like this, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The seminary I attended published a small book during my second year that had the title, Things That Matter Most. 
And it was basic and sound instruction on what it means to be a Christian, why the church of Jesus Christ matters, and why something as simple as partaking of communion is an absolute essential element of an expression of our union with Christ and our union with his people. And so when we come to a moment like this, the the first Sunday of the month, when we have decided to partake of communion together, a moment that I missed last month, and frankly, I was sad that I did. Nevertheless, I suspect that there's no small chance for, for the potential in us to come to a moment like this in which we may trivialize, and it would mean less and less, more and more, as we receive it again and again over time. That's, that's the, the issue with our fallen nature that we have to deal with week by week. And I think it would be the very height of ignorance and arrogance to say, okay, so we don't feel as good about communion as we used to, so what do you say we jazz it up a little bit? Maybe instead of, of bread and juice, we'll use Doritos and Coke, and maybe we could add something more to, to it to make it more exciting. Instead of saying, hey... Why don't we try to better understand what's taking place in this moment in order to make it matter to us with the help of the Holy Spirit the way that Christ intended. So the New City City Catechism, which we've been using, question 46, which we'll get to, Lord willing, in a few weeks. Question, what is the Lord's Supper? And it gives this answer. Christ commanded all Christians to eat bread and drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him and his death. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of the presence of God in our midst bringing us into communion with God, with one another, feeding and nourishing our souls. It also anticipates the day when we will eat and drink with Christ in his Father's kingdom. And the Westminster Confession ends those words, excuse me, their own words on the supper by saying this, to partake of communion is to further engage in and do all the duties which the believer owes to Christ and to be a bond and a pledge of their communion with Christ in one another as members of his mystical union. In other words, what they're trying to say is, when we come to the table, there is a whole lot more happening than meets the eye, or if you would, stirs the taste buds. And so this morning, if you probably gathered, instead of starting something new, what we're going to do is begin with a reminder, a necessary instruction for all of us, and maybe for some of us, the first time we've gone down this line in this particular text. So we have to begin by saying communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, all those different names. It surely suffers in the West of being improperly understood and therefore being so very, very easily trivialized. So much so that many people might have entered into communion in a way the Bible has warned us not to do. Namely, we come to communion lightly and carelessly and thoughtlessly, unable just to hold a reverence for God in our minds and to have a deep abiding sense of humility in which we are so keenly aware that at the table it is telling a story of Christ taking on our flesh, dying our death, taking on our sin to save us from penalties, just penalties that were due every one of us. Trivializing, making something seem less important, less significant than it really is. Now, I'm about ready to read a biography on C.S. Lewis And one of the reasons I want to read this biography is the one who wrote it did the significant amount of research 
And he says that the day that most people recognize as the day that C.S. Lewis came to faith in Jesus Christ is not that day. So some of you might know this. Lewis said this. He said he knelt down in his room acknowledging God to be God and in his words perhaps the most reluctant convert in all of England. And, and so I thought that was it. But the author says no. When, Lu, when uh, Lewis said that he simply moved from, from atheism to, to deism. He moved from, to, from no God at all to some kind of God overall. And so you know that we're not going to try to settle that this morning. But, but here is the issue. As he follows Lewis down on his letters and his communications with people, the author discovers that right after that moment, not only did Lewis start to attend church, but, but there was a significant moment that took place when Lewis took his first communion service. And the moment for him was so significant that he wrote his brother to tell him that he had taken his first communion. And incidentally, his brother also that very same Sunday also took communion. So here's what I want you to know. You have a middle-aged intellectual. And he's writing to his brother in just total excitement about receiving his first communion. And in the letter to his brother, he said this. I have now discovered what this communion actually is means it's terrific there's no intellectual roads to god that's something god has to turn on in us so as we look at first corinthians 10 and and later on you can look at first corinthians 11 and we need to know then what is communion what is taking place when we take communion then we can look to our first point this morning then our communion with christ or if you like when we take communion we are identifying ourselves with jesus christ verse 16 is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And that little word participation is the, is the Greek word koinonia. It is a very, very important word. It means fellowship, but it's not like chips and dip fellowship. This is, this is sharing together. This is a bodily, if you would, spiritual connection. This is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says when we are taking communion, we are participating in, if you would, the death of Jesus Christ. So for C.S. Lewis, as a middle-aged, again, as a middle-aged intellectual, he takes his place at the communion rail in the Church of England. To him, this was a very public, profoundly significant way, which he says, I am identifying with the person of Christ. I am identifying myself with Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Master as I take these elements. That's his first communion. Incidentally, is it not a great danger in in week-by-week worship where we miss what's taking place and we would be tempted, so tempted to either trivialize it or or categorize it, you know, scale of 1 to 10? You see, when we come together week-by-week, we do this and worship to God first. First. So all of us this morning who will drink from the cup and will take from the bread, we are professing faith in Jesus Christ. We are professing our commitment to the truth that says Jesus' precious blood alone, alone has been able to cleanse us from all our sins and to bring us to God. And so when we take the bread and eat it, we're declaring that we are joining with Jesus. We are sharing all that Christ has achieved for us since he was made sin for us in order that we would become the righteousness of God. So this is, this is much the same, and I don't think this is a horrible example, maybe not the best, but some of us who are married, when we take our public walks and we hold our spouse's hands 
Or we just go public with our spouse in the routines of life, revealing to everyone that we belong to each other. So the intimacy that we enjoy privately is then revealed publicly and everyone in the community knows that we are together. We are together. And therefore, in much the same way, when we come to this table together, we acknowledge both personally, but more importantly, publicly, when we take the bread and when we drink the cup, that we are His. We are in Christ. We are united. We are communing with Christ. We are aware of the cost, blood and body, of His pardon for our sin. And our actions at the table reveal this. Consequently, then, communion is much more than a commemoration. It's communion. It's communion because Jesus is here. He is present. He is alive. He is risen, and He's here. He's not absent. Jesus is here. He's present by the Holy Spirit. And as you think about that, that is a tremendous, tremendous privilege. A long time ago, when I was a kid in church, our congregation used to sing this song, He is here, He is here, He is moving among us. He is here, He is here as we gather in His name. He is here, He is here, and He wants to work a wonder. He is here, He is here as we gather in His name. And that's what we're saying when we take communion, that we have been brought together. This is a communal relationship with the risen Christ. And Jesus told us to do this, He asked us to, and do this we shall. And as you think about this, when you take the cup and take the bread, and as you're holding it, as we wait on one another to receive it together, what a tremendous opportunity and a profoundly different way to talk to Jesus. So we can can tell him as we're holding the cup and as we're holding the bread, tell him that you love him. I mean, that's a sensible thing to say. Tell him your needs. Tell him... (laughs) Thank you for the forgiveness that you give me, me, every day. Tell them, please give me strength to live for you in these days. Tell them that we are hungry for him and that we refuse to go away from this bountiful table empty. Right? How could we? Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. Mary's song in Luke's gospel, you fill the needy with good things. So we hold the cup and we hold the bread and we just, if you would, have a little talk with Jesus and we pour out to him how hungry, if we are, how hungry we are for him. So that's our first point. When we come to the table, we are communing with Christ, that we are identifying with Jesus Christ. Our second point, communion that is a sign of our unity with everyone who's in Christ, or if you like, our communion with one another. So it's a terrific picture. Jesus is so wise. The body, the bread, the juice, the blood. So Paul, after verse 16, when he says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Then Paul goes on to say, verse 17a, because there is, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. Well, why are we one body? Well, here, For we all partake, look at your Bible, for we all partake of the one loaf. And so Paul is reminding us of the tremendous necessity of of communion, but he's also telling us that when we meet Christ in communion, we're actually meeting one another. So when we gather in this way, if you would, we're being Christ to each other. We meet Christ and we are to be Christ. We see Jesus 
in the lives of each other. Our union with him makes this possible. But here's the thing. When we come to the table, it's not only about a moral issue about us being Jesus Christ, because sometimes we get that right and sometimes we get it wrong. This is, a, this is a spiritual reality. This is about belief. The righteous live by faith in the Son of God. So at the table, we are reminded of God's grace that we see in each other. We're reminded of the privileges that we have as one body together. We're reminded of all the duties that we have towards one another. Because our duties in serving one another are an illustration of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And it's revealed in the meal. Because I want you to think about this. You're sensible people. How would any of us have any lasting interest in serving one another? Have any lasting interest in performing our duties? Carrying each other's loads and seeing Jesus in one another apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Apart from the great work of grace that God has done in us. It won't happen. It could not happen. Yeah, maybe for a moment or two, a month or two, but not lasting. And so when we gather together in this way, we are reminded of that privilege. Team building exercises are terrifically fun. And they definitely have a place. It's very fun to tie your leg to someone else's leg, right? And try to learn to walk really, really fast together. But think just for a moment, what could be a better unifier than to understand that when we come to the table, knowing that we are one in Christ by grace, knowing that precious blood was shed for this moment to take place, that when we're holding the cup and when we're holding the bread, we could just scan over the congregation in our mind's eye and just have lovely thoughts in our minds towards one another and just be tender in our mind towards one another and think and hope and pray for the very best, the highest, highest good for one another. Asking God to help our family members. Help us all to live in love and to live in charity towards one another because we're reunited to Jesus Christ. And you see, we would not have that moment apart from the grace of God in Jesus. And grace says this, when we come to the table, we who are many are one body, period. Yeah, we might not always get that right outwardly. We understand that. It's a troubling aspect of our fallen nature. But when we come together, we are saying we are one body, period. Period. The body of Jesus Christ. So again, I say to you, there's nothing trivial about what's going to happen soon. We are not simply commemorating. We are communing. We are communing with our Lord Jesus Christ, our union and our identity all in Him. We are communion and united with each other, especially, if you would, in the immediacy of this time frame. And thirdly and finally, this is terrific news, we are united with a great company in heaven as well as on earth. In other words, our communion with all God's people from every age and place. That's verse 17. We who are many are one body. Now, since our union with Christ is a permanent union, and since all in Christ are alive wherever they are, it means this, we enjoy and celebrate communion when we do. It is not spoiled because of distance and it's not spoiled because of date. 
So if our brothers and sisters in Christ are far, far away, or if they're from another age and now in God's heaven, our union is not ruined because of all these things. Why? Well, because Jesus Christ is not the Savior of the dead, but He is the Savior of the living. And His, in Him, are alive no matter where they're at. So all over the world, the Spirit of God is moving to that end. And all over heaven, the Spirit of God is moving to that end. So we sing the song here, The Church is One Foundation. And that song has the line that says, Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. That's the line. And mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one, all in Christ, wherever they may be. So this is about as close as I'll get to my cousin Greg, who died in Christ at the age of 29 years old of cancer, until I reach heaven. And this is about as close as I'll get to my dead grandparents, who died in Christ when I was five and six years old, until I reach heaven. And it's the same for you. If there really is a mystic, sweet communion with those who have run the race, kept the faith, and finished in Christ, and that's what Paul is declaring, and that's what we're saying, then communion is never ultimately about the individual. It's about the body. It's about Christ. And it's about the immensity of this moment. Simply put, Jesus Christ is is the meeting place for all believers. He is the past. He is the present. He is the future. He's the first. He's the last. He was dead But now he's alive. And because he lives, we will also live forever with him and all in him. The whole of history hinges and pivots on the cross of Jesus Christ. Just get that. The whole of human history hinges and pivots on the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're new here and you say, well, why do they sing so much about the cross? And why do they say so much about the cross? That's it. That's the reason why. So last Monday, Labor Day, my family and I had our, to be honest with you, we had our own last supper meal of the summer of 2014. It was all very purposeful. New season was coming and old season was living. You know how it is, transition and school and all that stuff. So we were eating and, and everybody felt it. This was it. We were saying goodbye to the summer, a good summer, and we were thanking God for it and we were looking to the future. So we had, here's what we had. Homemade pizza, a big salad, homemade breadsticks with garlic butter. It was great. And when we were done, everybody lingered at the table just a little bit longer. And they didn't know it, but this is what I was thinking. I was thinking, one day Nicole and I won't be at that table. And Lord willing, they'll be at a table of their own with their spouses and, and, and children and, and maybe grandchildren. And they're going to be doing the same thing, hopefully, that we have done that day. And you see, there's going to come a day, if Christ should not return soon, when your children... <laughs> And your grandchildren will sit where you're sitting. And they're about ready to do what you're going to do. And if we've run the race and finished the course and and gone to glory, then we're going to enjoy communion with Christ, yes. And we're going to identify with him, yes. And we're going to be united to those in him, yes, because they're in Christ. And and we're going to be enjoying this mystical, sweet union 
with those still on earth if we are in God's heaven because we're one in the body of Christ forever. Is it a mystery? Yes, it is. Does it blow the mind? It blows my mind. Is it hard to describe in words? words? Absolutely. But can you now see that there is absolutely nothing trivial, nothing about what is about to take place? And in a very real sense, if we had to move heaven and earth to get to this table, I suspect that most of us, maybe all of us, probably would. So we need to thank God for this privilege. And we need to think, when my family had the Last Supper last Monday, that was it. We'll never be able to do that again. But in communion, here is the wonder. In communion, we learn together this morning that our bond is greater than our earthly family bond. Why? Only one reason. Because we're part of the mystical body of Jesus Christ. We are in union with Jesus Christ. So may God grant to every one of us, especially today, a fresh vision of Christ as the exalted and ascended King. And may He give us all a fresh vision of what communion means and why it really, really matters. And may He help us understand why our deportment at a time like this matters. But more importantly... May all the privileges that Jesus has given us at this moment be enjoyed, be enjoyed. And for some of us, maybe we'll have a C.S. Lewis moment when, when we'll take the bread and we'll drink the cup and the lights will turn on in our head and God just brings down his mercy and grace and we're no longer taking this stuff in a religious sense. No, no, no. But we're taking it together in Christ with all of God's people everywhere, everywhere everywhere so you're sensible people i want you to think this out thank you for your attention this morning let's bow and pray and if those who will be helping serve communion would come forward father it is a tremendous privilege that we've been given here and we thank you for just the wonderful skill that you give in the bible so that we have a proper sense of what is about to take place and so, Father, we would pray that you'd meet with us now for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. For Christ's sake, amen.